For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And it has been a busy week in Birdland, which we're going to break down tonight as the Orioles doing very well right now in year-end awards with Gunnar Henderson winning Rookie of the Year, Brandon Hyde winning Manager of the Year, two players picking up Silver Slugger Awards, and Kyle Bradis finishing fourth in Cy Young Award voting. We're going to talk about that tonight as well as get into the Orioles' fairly surprising decision to not protect any players who were Rule 5 eligible with 40-man roster spots before Tuesday night's deadline. But first, we're going to start off with the award stories. We're going to start with really the biggest one so far, which has been Gunnar Henderson winning American League Rookie of the Year. Henderson, with this award, becomes the eighth player in franchise history to be named American League Rookie of the Year and the seventh since the St. Louis Browns relocated to Baltimore. He won the award unanimously, becoming the 13th player in American League history to do so. And really, it came after an excellent year that did not go quite according to plan as Henderson really got off to a slow start before catching fire in June and ultimately becoming one of the best hitters on a 101-win Orioles team. By baseball references measure of war, his 6.2 mark led the team while he tied Anthony Santander for the team leading home runs with 28. So, Nick, I'll start with you. I think we knew by this point that Henderson had emerged as a clear favorite to win Rookie of the Year. So his victory is not a surprise, yet when you consider the journey he took to get here, it's really impressive to step back and look at how he overcame his early struggles. Yeah, I was looking at his splits earlier today, actually, in preparation for this, and uh, they're pretty astronomical when you look at them. Like the you know, higher than 30% strikeout rate in each of the first two months of the season, and he was walking a lot, 18% walk rate in April, the 12% walk rate in May. But he was hitting like barely 200. And you're like, all right, well, this is the rookie struggles. Of course, he's going to break out of it. Look at the walk rate. He's patient. He's hitting the ball hard. It's going to come. And, I mean, it did in the month of June. He still struck out 30% of the time, but he hit 320 with a 171 WRC+. And then the best part, it was just consistent. Those final three months of the year, July, August, and September, and, and into that what, week of October they play or whatever, it was just as consistent almost as you could get the 125 WRC plus 123, 125 uh, consistent batting average on base percentage all the way through the slugging percentage crept up. It was just, it's steady quality production you got from him over that second half of the year, which was a lot of fun to see. Um, it's really cool that he was unanimous as well. Unanimous rookie of the year winner. That's just a nice little exclamation point on top. And, like, like I said, we're going to talk about some other awards as well. And to be honest, as a fan, I, I just I don't really care too much about the awards. But uh, this one uh, was uh, pretty special when you get that extra draft pick involved. Obviously, you get the extra bonus pool money. This is it's huge for Gunner. It's well deserved and well earned by Gunner. But this has pretty huge effect on the Orioles organization as a whole. So that's uh, pretty awesome to see as well. But uh, yeah, it's just it's really cool to see this is how his rookie years 
culminates in with the rookie of the year award because I think we've talked about this before. If we go back, you know, two, three years ago, of course we knew Gunner was a good prospect, right? He's you know, top 10 or something. And I looked, Fangraphs, MLB Pipeline all had him like in the six or seven range in the Orioles' top 30 list when he first kind of debuted on these lists. And even the Fangraphs list, you look back at uh, one of the first ones a couple of years ago, pulled up the numbers here. Um, he was ranked right there with uh, next to Ryan McKenna on the fan graphs list as a 45 future value prospect, 45 plus future value prospect, uh, 50 future value power, 50 run, 55 field. And if you look at his latest report on fan graphs, 70 game power, 60 run, 60 field, 65 overall future value grade. I mean, it's just a testament to Gunner and this Orioles player development staff. Yeah. And there's been a lot of good articles that have come out this week about Gunner uh, in the banner by Andy Kofska. I believe there's one in the sun as well. And we kind of knew this, he was going to win as soon as Josh Young went down with the injury. So since what, late July, early August, we kind of had an idea this was going to happen, but it's still really cool. I am also not a big awards guy, but the big three still have some meaning in the Cy Young MVP and rookie of the year. And, and yeah, it's cool when your guys win one and Gunner did that. And he got us that bonus draft pick and, and slot money, which is almost as important as just acknowledging the season that he had. But it's just funny how in his first, let's see, March 30th, opening day till May 12th, he batted 170 with a 651 OPS. He was walking like 20% of the time, striking out like 30% of the time. And then if you stretch that out two more weeks, you walk less. He goes up, you know, first two months of the season, 201 batting average, 702 OPS. And then if you go from June 1st to the end of the season, he batted 276 with an 856 OPS, only walks 6.2% of the time, but breakout rate by 7% and had a 133 WRC plus. So, yeah, just it's interesting that I think. Mike Elias and Matt Blood in the player development. It's about, you know, having great at bats, walk in, getting on base. Gunner, the solution to his early struggles was swing the bat, swing the bat more, be more aggressive. And it's interesting that his his chase rate and his whiff percentage, I think, didn't really go down. So he was swinging more, but still making the same amount of contact and hitting the ball just as hard as frequently. So, yeah, if you have that kind of ability that – no matter what, as long as you're swinging the bat, you're going to hit it and you're going to hit it hard. And yeah, I think we want you to be aggressive and, and doing damage to the ball. And that's what he did. It's amazing to think back on the first couple of months of Gunner's season because you could watch him game to game. And when he was making contact, he would hit the ball hard. And I think it was one of the points that Nick brought up where you could kind of see where he was going to get out of that struggle. But it looks like the first two months, he might have dug himself into such a hole that winning this award was just not going to happen. And I know that Josh Young's injury is something that's brought up a lot, but Young ended up not finishing in the top three of rookie of the year voting. Um, so I feel like if Young had been healthy down the stretch, this award would have been close, but Gunner may have still had the edge. I think the other thing that you know is a little harder to quantify when you break apart the numbers is how much better he got on defense as the season went on. Yeah, It was a little nerve-wracking that first month or month and a half when he was playing third base. If a ball was not hit right at him, how he's going to handle the throw across the diamond? Shortstop, he looked a little rough around the edges sometimes, but 
as the year went on, he looked so smooth at both positions. That's a great point. Yeah, he improved with the glove just as much as with the bat. And we saw that in 2022 as well, that his defense development has really grown by leaps and bounds. And I think that's just a testament to to Gunner. Yeah, he comes across as a super confident, borderline cocky kid out there. But you can also just tell he's a super hard worker and having a ton of fun. Um, yeah, he's just constantly trying to get better and improve and challenge himself. You see how pissed he gets when he gets out. Like he's just, he didn't go for the cycle. He wanted to, you know, keep running hard, get that double or whatever it was that, that one game. So that's just the kind of guy he is. And, and that's the kind of guy you want in the clubhouse. So you want guys that are going to feed on the competition internally to try to improve themselves and push other players players that they're playing with to get better as well so yeah i think he's as much as adley rutschman is like you know first pick overall once mike Elias came over you know he's we've worked great ever since he came up and made his debut i feel like gunner henderson right next to him those are like the perfect one to uh entire like just synopsis of what this orioles organization is and can be moving forward yeah, I, I was going to bring up that that point of you got a chance for hit to hit for the cycle as a rookie, and instead of stopping at first base for the single, you just keep going for the double. That's uh, Andy Koska in his article this week over at the Banner. I mean, he kind of touched on that when Gunner was in high school, how the kid was just running everything out, turning to trying to turn singles into triples and doubles into inside the park home runs, and that's who he is. And being able to like rein that in at times, but at the same time, you know. Forget the cycle. I get a double. Uh, that's even better. I'm putting myself in scoring position so I can score a run and we can win this game. Uh, just, I think it's a perfect a moment that I, I don't think I'll ever forget during Gunner's tenure here. It kind of defines who he is almost in a way. But yeah, you just look at, like, I'm listening to a National Baseball podcast this week and they're talking about future MVP awards this kid's going to win. And we were looking back at, I remember before the season started, we're looking at like projections. You go on the Fangraphs page and you see like what the six or seven different projections they have for guys before the season starts. And you're like, all right, according to all these projection models, they've got gunners like a six, some of them closer to seven war players a rookie. And you're like, I don't know. Let's let's see about this. He was on Fangraphs. He's almost a five war player as a rookie. And he's still got some holes in his game. He's not perfect yet. Um but that's it's scary for the rest of the league to see how high that ceiling is. And I, I just think it's all perfect. I mean, you talk about some of the other quotes, too, from throughout the season. I think this was another Andy Costco article that he mentioned Gunner's uh, meetings with Catherine Rowe, the mental skills coordinator the Orioles have down in the minor leagues. And it, it was the quote was just what the simple question. She asked him just one question, like, what got you here? Like what made you great? And that's like, that helped him focus. That helped him center, uh, collect himself. And now he was the greatest rookie in major league baseball this year. So yeah, just, it's really cool to see that culmination. Really cool. Also that Corbin Carroll, Corbin Carroll, Gunnar Henderson as well. Shout out to Corbin Carroll. That was an awesome photo that the diamondbacks posted that the Jersey, the Jersey swap that they did. I just, these young kids in the major leagues, man, the, the future in all of baseball really is bright. Yeah, there's so much young talent in baseball. And and also goes underreported. Go in baseball savant. Go to base running and uh, put it in order. Who's number one base runner in baseball, according to baseball savant? Gunnar Henderson. So obviously slow start, but by the end of the season, he was firing on all cylinders. Offense, defense, base running. 
did it all and was the guy that was still producing in the playoffs too, even though it was a three and done. He was out there doing what he did best. Henderson is the first Oriole to win Rookie of the Year since Greg Olson in 1989 and the first position player from the Orioles to do so since Cal Ripken in 1982. And that gives you a sense of how long it has been while we've seen great players come out of the Orioles farm system in that period. Still, the fact that you're winning this award after more than 30 years is significant. And I think it kind of leads into the next point we want to talk about with awards, which is Silver Slugger. Gunnar Henderson claims a Silver Slugger for utility player, while Adley Rutzman wins a Silver Slugger at catcher. We broke down their cases on our last show a little bit. Um, it seemed to us that both of them had strong chances to win, but maybe were not complete locks. Bob, I'll just start with your general reaction to those awards and maybe speak a little bit to the significance of these guys as the cornerstones of this rebuild being honored in the same year. Yeah, again, Silver Slugger, I don't know. Like For me personally, it doesn't mean all that much. But again, super cool to have our guys. And it's just symbolically, it's great to have the two rookies, um, well, one rookie, one second-year player, uh, come up big and, and get honored that award. And it's just been cool to see all week the national media have to talk about the Orioles because they keep winning awards and, you know, whatever attention can be brought to these guys, they deserve it. I mean, they work their ass off. They work super hard and are super talented guys. So yeah, I love to see it. Um, hopefully this is just the first of many to come for them. Silver sluggers when they're in the hall of fame as wearing Orioles hats, 12 silver sluggers, one at utility, five at shortstop, six at third base. I don't know, but, uh, yeah, it, it's cool. It's cool for sure. Yeah, but I mean, Gunner, I like I said, I thought they'd give was was it Brandon Drury that was eligible at second and utility, and I thought yeah, give it to Simeon at second base, and then give Drury utility. That's probably what they do. But I'm glad to see. I don't again. I don't know who votes for this award. I don't know how it's determined who wins it, but uh, I am glad that Gunner did get it. These were the first two picks in that 2019 draft, the first draft class under Mike Elias you nailed your first two draft picks in Adley and Gunner. I, I mean, we can get into how long are they going to be Orioles. I hope that's a long time. That's a whole discussion for another day. Hopefully an extension for at least one of them is coming in the near future. Who knows? But for right now, you got two of the best players at their respective positions in baseball uh, and in just their first and second years. And maybe I've been kind of reading this wrong. I mean, I don't know, maybe you guys can tell me if I've been reading this wrong or not. But I've gotten the sense at times, really since Adley came up, that like his offensive production just hasn't been as appreciated as I think it should be among some fans. It's always like maybe because he was donned as the future, the face of the franchise, right? Adley is here. He's that 1-1 overall pick to come save this franchise and be kind of the face of the Michael Ice era. If this all, uh, fairly or not, rests on your shoulders and how good of a player you develop into. And yeah, the defensive praise has always been great. It's always going to be great. You can see the strikes he steals down to the hugs, <laughs> the relationship he has with his pitchers. We know this team's record with Adley behind the plate when he's not behind the plate. But offensively, it's always like he goes on a, a cold streak and it's like, I don't know. I just feel like some a lot of fans sometimes get down on the bat and you sort it out. Like I got it sorted here by catchers, 300 plate appearances. I did minimum, so whatever but i mean adley was like top 10 in home runs right he's not cal raleigh who hit 30 home runs this year but he still hit 20 bombs right 
he led all catchers in walk rate at 13.4%. He had the third lowest strikeout rate in all of baseball among catchers. He had a 277 average, was fourth. It's WRC plus 127. Only three catchers in baseball had a higher WRC plus than Adley. I, the gold glove would have been cool because it's, it's nice to have your catcher kind of rack up the gold glove awards, but I don't know, maybe uh, the silver slugger is a little bit, a uh, little little extra respect on uh, Adley's name in his game. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think that if you look at catchers in the American League, Adley was the best all-around hitter. Kyle Rowley might have been the better power hitter, but Adley was the better all-around hitter. And Nick, I think you, you touched on a good point there with fans. And I sometimes what I question is, was there either a sense incorrectly that Adley was going to be a lock to hit 30 homers every year, which I don't think there's a catcher in the game that is, or is it just the way he does it? He's just so consistent. Um, and even on the night where he's going one for five at the plate, he's getting a walk where that one hit is in a big spot for you. That is easy to take for granted that, Oh, Adley Rutschman um, got on base three times tonight. Yeah. And it's also like he, What's the leaderboard for games played in the catcher position and games started behind the plate? Like he's got so much on his plate. Nah, no pun intended. Um, but yeah, between leadership and it's still only a second, his first full season in the major leagues. Like, yeah, I do get the sense that as soon as he has like three games in a row, if he's hitless three games in a row, it's like, man, Adley, he's not pulling it, pulling his weight. It's like, yeah, but he kind of is. Every, he's always going to give you a good at bat. He's always going to give you good production behind the plate. Um, yeah, and he's great in the clubhouse. I mean, look, I'm even getting enjoyment out of watching his golf videos. So uh, it is it is a little bit overblown, but I guess that's what happens when you're 1-1 and you're like, you know, leading the charge for this rebuild. But And I think he could tell you himself he's got – areas to improve and he's hoping to be better in the future but love to have him hopefully he's here for for the rest of his career yeah 687 plate appearances only two catchers in baseball had more than 600 plate appearances that's william Contreras was the other that's massive and you're dealing with a really young at times inexperienced starting pitching staff starting pitching staff and grayson coming up bradish kramer these young guys trying to navigate their way in major league baseball in this al east and at the same time, Adley's trying to navigate his way at the plate, behind the plate. Uh, he's also a switch hitting catcher, like doing all this from both sides. It's yeah, we we can sit here just for hours and just rain uh, the praise on Adley. But speaking of that pitching staff, Kyle Bradis finishing fourth in American League Cy Young Award voting. Bradis was not expected to win this award. The end result was Garrett Cole winning it, which I think everybody could see from a mile coming, but. Bradis uh, gets a little bit of a nod from the BBWA for what was an excellent 2023 season, 168 and two-thirds innings pitched. He posted a 2.83 ERA while striking out 168 batters and walking just 44 in that span. And if you really want to hit on an area where Bradis improved, frankly, it was across the board. But if you want to look at an area where he made big improvements, it was with that command. In 2022, he pitched 117 two-thirds innings and walked two more batters than he did in 168 and two-thirds this season. So the walks go down, the strikeouts go up, just across the board, a great year from Kyle Bradis. And I think we saw this season why back in 2021, Matt Blood was coming on the show, telling us that Kyle Bradis belonged in the conversation tier with pitchers like Grayson Rodriguez and Diaz. 
Among all the awards, honestly, to see Kyle Bradish get as, as close as he did to winning the Cy Young, to be mentioned up there with the best pitchers in baseball this year, uh, was tremendous to see, especially because the knock on this team for so long has been the pitching and pitching development. Well, Kyle Bradish was a guy that this organization identified, went out and acquired from LA in that Dylan Bundy trade, and I pulled it up. I pulled it up right before we jumped on. I forgot I wanted to do this. I pulled up the because you know Baseball America does do a great job of when when trades go down those quick scouting report blurbs, right? Who is this guy? Never heard of him. All right, got a good idea. These are great articles. I love reading them. I pulled up Bradish's uh, from that trade, and here's the, the quick blurb on Bradish, 23, right-handed pitcher. Says the Angels' fourth-round pick in 2018, Bradish doesn't have the velocity or command to start, but has a tick of promise as a potential reliever. That's a lot of potential. Um, 91, 93 mile an hour fastball cuts just enough to be interesting, and his plunging overhand curveball gives him a potential above-average secondary. The hope is Bradish's fastball gets 94 to 96 in the bullpen and can be a decent enough pitch to pair with his curveball. Otherwise, he's organiza- he's organizational depth piece. Yikes. <laughs> Try sits 95, 97 as a starter, has one of the best sliders in baseball, a much improved changeup and that hammer curve. Yeah, they nailed it. We'll wrap up the awards segment on the show with uh, recognizing manager of the year, Brandon Hyde. Hyde became the fourth Orioles manager in franchise history to win manager of the year in the first since Buck So Walter back in 2014. He received 27 out of 30 first place votes and finished no worse than second on any ballot. And this comes as he leads the Orioles to a 101 win season in a year where, frankly, a lot of uh, national outlets had the Orioles probably in fourth or fifth in the division, perhaps under 500. Uh, he does. So I think with a roster that was better than it was given credit for at the beginning of the year, but still one that you look at it on paper and it doesn't have the star power of Toronto or New York or the seemingly endless depth that Tampa Bay had at their peak of this season. Um, Yet a ton of credit to him for guiding the Orioles in this direction. Well, this one was exciting because we thought we were spoiled and Bruce Boshi was going to win. And then as soon as the NL manager of the year was announced and it wasn't in the same order that the quote-unquote leaked email was we were like oh is there a chance and then boom brandon hyde wins it was uh actually kind of exciting even though manager of the year basically is just what were the expectations coming into the season versus what end up happening at at the end but still well deserved for brandon hyde i don't think there's any doubt about it no one had this team winning 101 wins not even us and i think a lot of people would say we're pretty optimistic so yeah, hats off to him. Also, some great articles about Brandon Hyde came out. I like the one in the Sun that had the the old picture of him as a look like a surfer dude or or something. He had some kind of surfer type necklace on as a younger guy, no beard. Um, yeah, very cool stuff. And congrats. Yeah, you know, he's he's not perfect. He makes a lot of decisions. I imagine in games specifically that you know fans maybe don't agree with and maybe even I don't know no manager is perfect they're far from perfect but at the end of the day it's like Brandon Hyde has already clearly demonstrated that he will go to war for every player in that locker room and it you get the sense that every player in that locker room is ready to go to war each day 
uh, for Hyde. And, you know, I know we've kind of touched on this before and I'll just kind of repeat it again. I don't think there's any chance that Hyde was the guy that, I mean, hindsight, it is what it is, but especially now that, that we see where this organization is going, I, I just don't think this organization is going to move on from him. Now that they've entered this new period, I think Hyde is the guy that they're going to stick with. Who knows if that was the plan from the start or not? I know you know they're saying you know, Hyde was the guy that we're going to see this through, but regardless, I, I think this is the guy that the Orioles are going to stick with for the next couple of years, and hopefully... Uh, the Orioles put out a great video as well. They've done lots of great videos and, and content, of course, with all these awards. But the video with Hyde w- was pretty cool. And I was just thinking, like, the icing on the cake to that video will be hopefully in the next year or so you can end that video with him hoisting uh, a World Series trophy. Uh, just, yeah, a lot of credit to him. And I'm sure – I know he says this isn't a you know an individual award. He puts it all back on the team. He, he does the coach speak, the manager speak, that, of course, he's going to say the PR answers, right? But – you know that man has seen some things. He's had some days. I could just imagine uh, the number of beverages that guy's had consumed, went home to consume some nights after some of those games of the last couple of years. And to be manager of the year, I think that's a lot of credit to to him. I think he deserves to take some of that credit for for this turnaround by the Orioles. And you can talk about bullpen moves and lineups and punt lineups at that, um, but. If you look from 2019 to 2021, the Orioles were terrible. That had to be really, really tough to go through. And he never lost the clubhouse. I mean, if you ask, I feel like any of his players, like they probably love the guy. That's the way it comes across. And and when they start winning, you see the videos, you can just get the sense that, yeah, he loves his guys and, and they love playing for him. So I think that's what's most important, at least as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to a manager, is just keeping that clubhouse motivated and and happy. And I feel like he's done that. You lean on your your other coaches to do the technical stuff. You lean on the analytics in the front office to help you put together game plans. And uh, yeah, I think as far as good clubhouse guys, I feel like he's got to be one of the best in the game right now. We've got more coming up here as we discuss the Orioles' decision to not protect a player on the 40-man roster before Tuesday's deadline. But first, uh, in the NBA, the game can change in an instant. But no matter how the action unfolds, you know DraftKings Sportsbook has your back. This week, new customers can score $150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting 5 bucks on basketball. Win or lose, you get an instant dub. There's plenty to bet on this week across the NBA landscape, including over-unders, on individual player points or player combos like Jimmy Butler, over 34.5 points, rebounds, and assists on Thursday night against Brooklyn or place your future bets now on who will be crowned champions of the NBA this season. The Boston Celtics at plus 380 and the Denver Nuggets at plus 400 are the two current favorites on DraftKings with the Phoenix Suns and their big three of Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Bradley Beal not too far behind at plus 750. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code on the verge. New customers get 150 bets instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on basketball. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code on the verge. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In West Virginia, visit www. 
1-800-GAMBLER.net. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino, Kansas, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. So, Nick, have you been following NBA action so far this season? I'm sweating bets live right now as we record this podcast. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to need the Chicago Bulls to get their stuff together tonight. Uh, so hopefully I can win some money. And uh, don't bet on the Wizards for anything because that is a garbage organization this year. Thank God the Orioles are good. Couldn't you just copy the Wizards or a garbage organization this year every single year and it would basically mean the same thing? I feel like it. I f- honestly, at this point, I don't. Need, I haven't watched a single Wizards game this year, but uh, the box scores tell me everything I need to know. Well, we'll pivot back to baseball now. The Orioles and all of Major League Baseball had until Tuesday night to decide which Rule 5 eligible players they were going to protect from December's Rule 5 draft with spots on their 40-man roster. As we previewed last week, the Orioles for much of this offseason, as young as it is, have had two open 40-man roster spots. And on Tuesday afternoon, they actually opened up two more spots. However, they ended up not protecting any of their Rule 5 eligible players. Now, if you listen to last week's show, You probably heard us talk about how this year's group of eligible players was not as strong as the players we'd seen in previous off-seasons. You didn't have that slam dunk like Grayson Rodriguez and Joey Ortiz last year or D.L. Hall the year before. Yet, with Hudson Haskin headlining the position player side and several interesting arms in the mix, it looks like the Orioles would protect at least one or two guys. Nonetheless, they opt to not protect any and are now carrying 36 players on their 40-man roster. Of course, as the Rule 5 draft approaches here in a couple of weeks, we'll have more coverage on... Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Which players possibly get taken out of the system, though we are going to discuss that a little bit tonight as well as the players that the Orioles may look at if they are going to make a pick this year. But we'll start with the decision to not protect anyone. Uh, Nick, I'll start with you here. We had noted last week that the Orioles have probably already made the major decisions by adding Heston Kerstad and Jordan Westberg to the roster during the season, trading Daryl Hernandez last offseason. So a lot of the big-name players were already covered, yet it seemed like there was enough there that at least one or two guys were going to get protected. Nonetheless, that doesn't happen. What are your thoughts on that? I wasn't too shocked, to be honest. Ever since we recorded last week, I kept thinking more and more about it, and I feel like, really, I used last week's episode to try to convince myself that they were going to protect Hudson Haskin because, honestly, I just I just didn't see it. it he just hasn't been healthy. This outfield, as it stands right now, is so crowded already. You've got more outfield depth coming up. I felt like that's a guy you could probably gamble on 
I mean, the two hamstring injuries and then the hip surgery, like that's pretty major after numerous injuries already. So I felt like that. I felt fine with Haskin not being protected. If he's selected and sticks with another, another organization, great for him. I wish him all the best. But I feel okay about leaving him off. But then, honestly, earlier in the day when they announced that, was it Rock tweeted out, um, Taron Vavra and Tucker Davidson cleared waivers, and that got the Orioles down to, what, 36? I was like, oh, they're protecting probably more than we thought. We're over here, like, all right, is it going to be one? Is it going to be two? No real consensus, I think, between the three of us about which two it would be if it is two, because I felt like it was kind of a hard decision to pick two that we felt confident they would protect. I'm like, all right, you got four open spots. They're definitely going to protect a few extra people now. So it was surprising once that move was made that they didn't protect anybody. But I mean, on the pitching side of things, honestly, just none of these guys have that even AAA experience. And so many of them are coming off major injuries, Tommy John surgeries or numerous injuries. Brandon Young, we've talked about the shoulder injury. Just these guys just aren't, they're just now getting healthy. They've got limited double A experiences, like in the case of Zach Peak. Trey McGo's only got a couple AAA innings. Gene Pinto, um, some of these other guys that we talked about haven't even reached AAA yet. So I feel okay um, about the Orioles deciding not to protect anybody, to be honest. Yeah, I think we even touched on don't be shocked if they don't add anybody. Um, I definitely thought they would. And I think we that one guy we all thought they would add was Trey McGow, who's coming off a great AFL and coming back from injury, showed a lot of promise. And I don't think it's a lack of confidence in him that he wasn't at it. I think it's probably a calculated risk slash decision that they don't think that he'll be picked or if he is, he won't last the entire year. And I can't really blame him. I think you gave every reason why some of these guys would be left off. I, I mean, Hudson Haskin, he's a solid prospect, no doubt about it. And if he's healthy and performing, he's a valuable major leaguer. But like you said, he hasn't been healthy. And I think, you know, even if you put on your orange tinted glasses, you might say that he's he's Ryan McKenna with three options instead of zero next year. And that's if he's fully healthy and ready to even contribute at the major league level right away. But that's probably similar production to what you're going to get. So Worst case, you lose that guy. You still have plenty of other options that could slide into that into that role. Bob, I think you just kind of touched on the theme of this year's class, which is that anyone realistically the Orioles were going to protect would not have been majorly ready on day one next year. Even if they weren't expected to be, I think you want some part of your 40-man roster to be able to step up, step up for you in an emergency, which is kind of what I think happened on the pitching side. I thought Trey McGill was going to get protected because he just seemed like the strongest all-around case because he had the good run in the Arizona Fall League. He's had prior AAA experience, so you could probably start him back there despite the fact that he didn't get back on the mound from Tommy John surgery until last summer. Yet the Orioles probably looked at it and thought he's not going to be ready for the first few months of the year. We can add him if we have to. And what I wonder, you know, I think we know that – they're going to be targeting pitching in some way, shape, or form this offseason. But I sort of wonder if by leaving McGill off, if the margins of the 40-man roster are going to be given priority to someone who can come up in April or early May and make a spot start for you or 
being that extra arm out of the bullpen if some guys are tired. And I don't know that they saw him go that way. Yeah. I mean, it's a 101 win team now. And that's expected to take the next step forward next year. And you know, maybe that doesn't mean more wins necessarily, but it means advancing further in the playoffs. It, I feel like we've kind of switched this past season now has marked the change to where it's, it's kind of World Series or bust every year at this point, right? Like, I mean, there's really no going back right now. So, yeah, a lot of these guys are really interesting prospects. And I think two years ago, Mago would have been probably a slam dunk lock. Brnovich probably would have been a, a lock probably serious consideration given to guys like Ryan Watson and Garrett Stallings because they would have been able to contribute almost immediately. Now you're at a point where, yeah, I, I do agree that the fringes of the roster, the, the back end of that 26 man roster, and even the back end of that 40 man roster, it, the back end of the 40 man roster specifically, it got to be guys that are versatile in terms of options, being able to go up and down. They want it to be veterans who are going to be able to contribute in a pinch. But at the same time, it's like, you know, these, while these prospects are still good, it it almost sounds like kind of kind of like dogging some of these guys at times. When we're like, yeah, they can't do this, they're not going to do that, they're always hurt. But it's like, no, they're still good prospects. But the Orioles can also at the same time afford to take their time with Mago. They can take their time with Kyle Branovich and, and the Peaks and these other guys returning from from surgery because the major league roster at the same time is so much better. Uh, so yeah, like we're going to lose talent. Like if Hudson Haskin is picked then that's that's the case and it's going to get these decisions are going to get tougher and tougher each year as the roster gets better and i mean this organization it's a 101 win team and they're going to have what three picks in the top 40 three picks in the top 30 something this year like this farm system isn't going anywhere anytime soon so it's going to be a a yearly occurrence here but yeah i think it's uh it, it made it interesting conversations at least this year yeah and if Haskin gets picked, and there probably is a good chance he gets picked. I'm not sure if he'll make it the whole time, but if he does, I hope he balls out and just makes the most of the opportunity and runs with it. But, you know, the Orioles are looking at it from a, a different perspective than us as uh, fans and prognosticators, I suppose. But And let's not forget, we talked about this last week too, uh, Jordan Westberg, Heston Kerstad, right? Those were some guys that would have been protected this week or yesterday if – you know, they hadn't already been added to the roster. And also, you still have guys like Kobe Mayo, Jackson Holiday. You know, these guys could be added early on the season, if not before opening day as well. So, you know, it's not always about. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives for newly appointed agents. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the United States Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers USBP. That's cbp.gov careers USBP. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, 
Price Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Price Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. The here and now, you had Joey Ortiz. He was on there. These guys are, are going to be available early in the season as well. So, you know, you at least it's interesting that Taron Vavra was taken off. I was a little bit surprised by that. I was also a little bit surprised that he made it through and cleared waivers. Um, Tucker Davidson, less so, but I do think that's an interesting arm to have now in AAA. And uh, yeah, that was interesting as well. Four open spots, free agencies here, trades are available. Let's see what happens. Um, yeah, be interesting to see how, how the 40 man gets filled back up. When I saw that Vavra was outrighted off the 40-man roster, I kind of saw it not as a foregone conclusion, but that it was a much better chance that Hudson Haskin was going to get protected because Vavra is another one. You know, Vavra is not a pure outfielder, but he is an outfielder in case of emergency. Uh, so you had seemingly one spot open there where you could have put Haskin. Yet even after you take Vavra off the 40-man, you have going on the Orioles 40 man roster right now. They have eight outfielders listed. That doesn't include guys that kind of fall into that in case of an emergency category because Ryan O'Hearn played some right field for them last year. Jorge Mateo can bounce around the outfield a little bit. Jordan Westberg has some professional experience in left field, although I don't think he got a look there in the major leagues last year. So you look at that group, the Orioles really have eight plus uh, outfielders on their 40 man roster without Haskin, and in the case, I think, at least of Colton Cowser and Sam Hilliard, those are two guys that have a better shot at winning a backup role out of spring training than Haskin would. Yeah, and Vavra is kind of that same situation as Haskin. He's never healthy. We've talked about that, too, with Vavra. I mean, his injury history, extensive injury history, goes back to his college days when he was at Minnesota, and that's nothing new with him. Uh, it's been an every year, seemingly, occurrence with him. So. I, like if a team isn't going to want to take a flyer on Vavra, who is versatile and yeah, he doesn't have the home run pop, but we've talked about plenty of times before on the show as he came up through the minor leagues. He's one of the smarter hitters, I think in the organization, he can work in at bat with the best of them. But if all 29 other organizations are going to pass on adding him to the 40 man roster, probably because of that injury history, I think that's almost is good news when you're looking at some of these Orioles guys that they didn't protect Haskin if you are a big Hudson Haskin fan or Mago, Peak, any of these injured Bronovich, if you're fans of these guys and want to make sure they stick in the organization, I think that's could potentially be a you know a good sign for for guys like that. That's a good point because you could have had a guy in Vavra who can even play center field in a pinch, corner outfield, second base, third base. We saw him do that a little bit this year, and he would have at least one or two options left. Maybe I think it's just one next year, but yeah, you would have a guy you could have claimed him and then moved him up and down at will rather than a guy that's going to have to stick on the major league roster all year. Looking at the players that were left unprotected. I, I think we all agree that the Orioles stand a pretty strong chance of losing one or two guys in the major league phase of the rule five draft this year. Who are the players that you feel pretty strongly at this point are going to be selected by other teams? Mm. I don't feel super strongly about any of them. I do wonder, I don't know. This 
see, I think this is kind of why the Orioles didn't protect anybody because, like, I don't see anybody that I'm feel super strongly about. I I'm just so adamant that the injuries are going to keep Haskin from being uh, selected at, because that organization knows they're not going to take him. Mago is the only interesting one. I'm going to go back to him because I almost felt like he was as close to a lock to be protected among this group as anyone else, just because the Orioles took him in the minor league phase of last year's rule five draft, knowing that he had just had Tommy John surgery. So you figure he can get back on the mound before the season starts. You're going to be able to get some rehab work done with him. He's also going to be rule five eligible again next year. So you're going to have to make this decision with him next year. Now, right now, and then they sent him to the Arizona Fall League where, like Bob mentioned, he did have a really good campaign. He was an AFL Fall Star. He didn't walk many guys. We're going to look at these AFL stars. Right? He didn't walk many guys. He struck out a bunch of guys. I think for AFL's sake, he had a really good season, at least just looking at box scores. I haven't looked dug into like any of the better data, if it's even available for him to go out there in the AFL. But I just kind of felt like leaving him exposed to other organizations to view like, oh, maybe he is healthy. And he has put you on the AFL. Oh, he's real five eligible. Yeah, we could probably take him. That was a, the big reason why I felt like Mago probably would have been protected. But Yeah, it's tough, right? Because if I had to bet money, I would bet that an Oriole is taken by a team in the Major League Rule 5 draft. But I don't know who it will be. Um, if I had to guess, it would probably be one of the pitchers that we left off i could see a team taking a flyer on abronovich or a, a brandon young or even a gene pinto i feel like if you use him correctly he could potentially stick i'm not sure but um yeah haskins an option as well but now that we talked about the vaver thing and how he cleared waivers that's kind of interesting to me i would lean that he doesn't get picked um but I obviously wouldn't be surprised if he was either. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to see. Obviously, I want to keep as many of our guys here as possible, but it's also a good opportunity for these guys as well. And maybe Maverick Hanley could be a guy that gets picked. I know catchers aren't exactly, you know, top of the the charts when it comes to the Rule 5, but he's he's right there too. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It's the Miley phase that you got to watch out for. That's where the Orioles will lose talent. Um and it is the minor league phase, so you know talent, quote unquote, say that whatever that that's worth for these guys that you end up losing on that phase. But that's where you're going to see some two or three at least guys I think get selected. Yeah, and for anyone listening to this, it's not quite clear on the ins and outs of the minor league phase of the Rule Five draft. Just because a player is eligible for the major league phase of the Rule Five draft does not mean they're eligible for the minor league phase. So if you're track if you're tracking the Rule Five draft. Uh, here in a few weeks and you get through the major league phase and you don't see a guy taken out of the Orioles farm system, that probably means they're not getting taken at all. Um, or one of the guys we've highlighted tonight or in last week's show. So someone in that category of Hudson Haskin, Trey Mago, Gene Pinto, Ryan Watson, you could probably throw Garrett Stallings and Brandon Young in there too. They probably are not going to get taken provided that the Orioles protect them from the minor league phase as well. But that information is not made public, so we won't be able to break that down. But chances are if you're following along and you don't see Hudson Haskin go in the major league phase, that means he's sticking in the Orioles organization. I feel like if Haskin is not taken, that probably means that either the – and I'll admit I have not dug that deep into the players that are available this year. 
where either the position player class is so deep that he just doesn't stand out that much or teams are concerned about the injury and feel like they can look for a fourth outfielder that can sign a minor league contract and compete for a job in spring training and not have that 40-man roster spot right away. And the Orioles have a fourth outfielder available for trade. doesn't have options, but it's kind of similar to the Rule 5, right? Uh, Ryan McKenna, anybody? Come on. We'll pivot now to the Arizona Fall League. We just touched on Trey McGill putting up very strong numbers during his time in the Arizona Fall League. The Orioles prospects spent the season with the Mesa Solar Sox. And if you've listened to the show before, you've heard us say that AFL stats really need to be taken with a grain of salt for various reasons. It's a league that's notoriously hitter-friendly, small sample size, on and on. And all those caveats still apply to this discussion. But we did want to highlight a few performances that jumped out at us. And one that we want to single out is Carter Baumler. 21-year-old right-hander went 10 innings in the Arizona Fall League, struck out 15, walked 6. And what I think is really impressive about Baumler is he goes out there and faces a fairly high level of competition despite such limited performance professional experience. He was drafted by the Orioles back in 2020, but injuries have held him so far to this 28 and two-thirds innings in his career, which includes 17 that he threw late last season. We have been waiting for a few years now for Ballmer to have, have that healthy, productive run, and hopefully he just shoots up the prospect rankings after that. Because he pits well in the Arizona Fall League does not guarantee that that's going to happen in 2024, but I feel like you guys have to agree that that's some glimmer of hope that as long as he's healthy, we're going to see a pretty productive Carter Baumler out on the mound next year. Yeah, it's got to be a great confidence boost. It's great experience for him. You know, he went in, he didn't, he didn't dominate, but he also didn't struggle that much either. A 450 ERA in the AFL is not bad at all. The walk strikeout rate was good and he's got a chance now to at least finish on a healthy note. On a positive note, you can go into the offseason, plan for a full season of pitching. I'm sure it will be shortened stints. He'll probably be on like the Gene Pinto four innings, five innings at a time at the most next year. Uh, probably start in high A, but if he has a, a healthy season, he could finish. He could have an Alex Pham type season where he's impressing and, and getting – raised up the ranks of our rankings and other people's rankings uh, and ending the year in double A. So I think, you know, nothing but positive vibes for Carter Baumler after the AFL this year. Yeah. And because I don't think he, his last out in the AFL was a long time ago in terms of the AFL season. I feel like he got all of his work in early and then we didn't see him again. And it kind of worried me like, is he hurt again? But he was technically named to the AFL fall star team as well, which I don't think they announced, but he was there like at the game. <laughs> and I guess later on announced as a fall star and partook in all the you know festivities, the red carpet and stuff events that they had. So I'm assuming that he was still healthy, but that 10, that clean 10 innings, I'm kind of guessing we're not going to push it with you. Just get out there. Uh, Force Herman was out. He was the pitching coach for Mesa. So You've got an Orioles pitching coach out there with these guys. Get a couple more innings in warm Arizona weather and let's get you healthy for make sure you're healthy for next year about not pushing it too much. Hopefully that's the case. And there wasn't some flare up or anything that happened that ended this season earlier. But yeah, the 15 strikeouts in 10 innings is positive. 
And even to the one home run, I think is positive because you look at some of these other guys, they give up a lot of home runs. Peter Van Loon gave up like five home runs and like nine innings of work, but there were others. I mean, everyone else that pitched, you know, 10 plus innings on this team gave up two, three, four home runs. It's a very, very hitter friendly environment. So the, the lack of home runs allowed, I think is another, if you're just scouting the stat line, that's, that's another positive for him. Looking out, uh, looking at the stats, um, there's a couple of things that jump out at me. Billy Cook finished pretty solid 818 OPS. T.T. Bowens belted four home runs, 92 plate appearances, 724 OPS. Uh, the strikeouts for both guys were a little high, but I think in Cook's case, a nice ending to what was a breakout regular season for him. Bowens a chance to get extra reps after injuries cut into his 2023 campaign. Um, he Anything stand out about those guys or any of the other Orioles prospects to either one of you? I think, again, if you, I wish I could pull this up on Fangraphs and really break it down, but Billy Cook, again, he started off slow. I feel like if you take out the first, I don't know, 15, 20 at-bats of his, his numbers are going to look way, way better. But it's just a, a very – I think he probably – Performed the best, especially on the offensive side overall of all the Orioles prospects. I think he's now officially ready for AAA to start 2024. And, uh, yeah, he's a guy that, again, if Hudson Haskin gets picked, he's a guy that's there that can fill that similar type of role as well. So that's not to be overlooked. And then T.T. Bowens, yeah, I think he got an extra 80-some at-bats, and that's pretty big for him, especially because he he missed a lot of time this year. And if he's going to go into 2024 as uh, seeing double A's starting first baseman most nights, then uh, if he's going to have any hope of being a Major League Baseball player, he needed these innings, and he's going to have to have a big season next year as a offensive first profile. Yeah, I kind of wonder with Bowen's – First of all, he was what a 2020 undrafted free agent out of you know Central Connecticut State, so a small school kid who was like huge raw power, but really like didn't really seem like anything else was there. So it's like, all right, you're strictly first base DH with huge raw power, but I kind of assumed he was kind of just signed to play first base at the lower levels of the minor leagues, and either he retires or they just cut him after like two years or so. But now I I almost wonder if. I'm sure the Orioles will sign another Lewin Diaz, Josh Lester. They'll sign those types of players to fill, you know, the first base down in Norfolk. But I almost wonder if Bowens has now worked his way into he's Norfolk's first baseman next year. And he's like the emergency. Like if he's in the major leagues next year, something's gone terribly wrong at the major league level with, you know, Mount Castle and Santander and others. But like, could he be the guy who is the break glass in case of emergency first baseman down there in Norfolk, which I mean, not to belittle it, it's huge for an undrafted kid out of a small school to now be potentially like one step away from the major leagues. That's awesome to see. There's something that frustrates me with these numbers, uh, and it's John Rhodes. And obviously, we're not not warranting a huge, deep discussion about John Rhodes because it's Arizona Fall League stats, and we're strictly pretty much just scouting the stat line here with something that I know we kind of hate doing. Um, But Rhodes is like, the batted ball data has always been so good with Rhodes as he was coming through the organization. Right. And then he gets to double A and we're like, he's going to break out. And then he got hurt. It was like a wrist injury or something last year. Like, I think that lingered. All right. Give him a pass. He's still young, incredibly young. He was like one of the youngest players in his draft class when the Orioles took him just the other year. 
So, all right, this this year, he's fresh, back in AA. He's going to break out, and he didn't break out. Uh, but he did have one of the bigger, like, average exit velo or 90th percentile exit velo gains in all of minor league baseball, which is huge. Again, the batted ball data is phenomenal with John Rhodes, it seems like, but he didn't have that breakout. And then he goes to the Arizona Fall League, and he hit just 143 in 70 at-bats. Um, 26 strikeouts, just eight walks, 517 OPS. It's just frustrating. And I'm ha- you're not writing off John Rose at all as a prospect, but it's like, are we going to see that breakout from him at any point? It's just that doubt is starting to creep into my mind just a little bit there. Yeah, I was so disappointed. I wasn't even going to bring him up. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, and he did have like stretches this season where it was like, okay, here we go. It's happening. And then he'd fall back off again. So yeah, I'm not sure what that is, but I think 2024 is like kind of a put up or shut up when it comes to really becoming one of those firm top 20 to 25 prospects in the system. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that does it for tonight. So we will be as a quick programming note, we're going to be shifting our schedule around at least for the rest of 2023. We will be recording on Wednesday nights at 8.30 p.m., we may shift back to our normal Monday night schedule once we get into 2024, but at least for the remainder of 2023, we're going to be doing our show live on Wednesday nights at 8.30 p.m. Before our next show, be sure to follow us on social media. If you're not already, we're on TikTok, X, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you haven't signed up already, please consider joining our Patreon community. For as little as $3 a month, you'll have access to a WhatsApp group as well as a shout-out on this show at the 5 and $10 levels, you will have access to bonus daily coverage, which is going to be ramping up here in a few months when we get into our day-by-day countdown of our top 50 prospects list. You can expect that to begin somewhere around the first of the year. In the meantime, though, we will still have some surprise bonus coverage for our patrons, so you're not going to want to miss that. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Sweden. You've been listening to On the Verge. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.